0: So this, uh, this week we are looking at chapter 11, we're, we're on page 120, chapter 11, we're talking about stewardship. And uh, before we get started, I thought it'd be good if we thought, at least um, thought about some of the reasons why we struggle with this topic, why do we struggle with this uh, the topic of financial stewardship. When we talk about money in the church, what is it that either causes us to... Um, it causes us to either just turn off listening or not be interested or causes us to have some level of discomfort. So I, I thought about a couple of reasons why maybe it could potentially be one of those issues that we struggle with. So uh, generosity is not something that we, uh, that comes natural to us, I think as, as uh, we are by nature self-serving. We, we pursue our self-interest uh, if we're left to ourselves. So being generous with anything, with our time, with our money, with our resources, is something that uh, it takes a lot of work at. And uh, as Christians, you know, we'll, we'll study that out, why we're able to do that. But the, the ability to act uh, generously is a result of God's grace, first and foremost. So Romans 8, 5, "...those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit..." Have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. So, g- generosity is actually something that is a result of God's grace in our lives, but it's not something that it comes natural. Um, I think realistically, we also are confronted with some of the abuses that we've seen. Whether it's in our own history with churches, maybe we we've come across a church or a, a person in a church who's uh, acted inappropriately with money, theft, that kind of thing. We've heard about it. We have the prosperity gospel teachers who are going around trying to get raise get money in 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 inappropriate ways. So these abuses cause us to, you know, want to tighten up and uh, think uh, twice about just giving um, wrong priorities on our part, on the church's part, that kind of thing. Where what is the priority um, as far as what that money is being used for? What we want to use that money for? Sometimes even as Christians. Uh, but also, I think, the effects of our culture. And I mean, when I say culture, I mean here in the United States. So our Western, you know, American culture, we have a very much... Uh, I talked about this some, a little bit with the Crossroads Group, but the, the idea that, you know, I earned this money, this is my money, I earned... You know, the, the idea that we have, you're a self-made man. You know, you, you earned it, you made it, this money is mine to do whatever I want with. And or my resources, you know, I I earn these things with my own two hands. However, whatever we're talking about, so the effects of our culture, having uh, what that has on us, uh, and some of how that affects our ability to give or our willingness to give, uh, to be good stewards with our money. So just some things to think about as we begin to look at this topic of financial stewardship. Uh, so we're uh, starting now. Looking at the uh, top of 120, it says, uh, Scripture refers to Christians as man- uh, managers, or stewards in other translations, on a number of occasions. The Greek word often translated as manager or steward is actually a compound for meaning house and law or rule. The steward or house-manager has the authority to con- conduct business on behalf of the owner. So in our culture, the steward's authority is comparable. That's one of the things that we struggle with. That when we talk about how will we convey biblical ideas to a culture that is disconnected from uh, the Bible, even being a steward of something, is, is sometimes we have to really unpack what that means because it's, it's something foreign to our culture now. Uh, but the power of attorney idea comes close. So although the steward may have managed uh, great possessions, we, who, when we talk about who is the owner of the possessions, uh, when we look at Luke 12:42, it's the master of the house. In, or in other words, it's God who is the, uh, the owner of the possessions. So you're, you're managing resources on behalf of the, the, the resources owner, which you are not. So to be a steward was a great privilege and responsibility in, in the biblical context. So the Bible teaches that you are a steward for the Lord. The, the foundation for good stewardship is the realization that you and all you possess belong to God. So at the moment of your salvation, you were inseparably linked to Christ. You are now in Christ. Uh, scripture goes on to teach that you belong to Christ. How does 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 teach that God owns you? So that says, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, Do not do you not know that your bodies are the temple of are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. So the Bible here in First Corinthians six talks about how God owns you because we were bought by Him. So He owns us because we were bought by Him. So according to First Peter one, eighteen and nineteen, with what did God purchase you? first uh, 1 Peter 1:18 1, and 19 says, "For you know that it is not it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. So we were purchased by God by the with the blood of Christ. it is a lamb without blemish or defect. Uh, and the idea there is something with of infinite value. God purchased us, uh, with something that of infinite value. So since you belong to God, it follows that all you possess belongs to God. So James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So all we have is a gift from God. So James teaches that you are a steward. Uh, the way that it does is because he says, All we have is a gift. So we didn't. It didn't originate. What we have, our time, our treasure, these kind of things don't originate with us. They're all gifts from God. So that, that right there, that statement in James really goes against our culture, our cultural understanding of um, American kind of way of you know self-made. You know, I did this myself idea. So, how does First Corinthians four seven? So, as you, uh, just to highlight there, underneath there, it says uh, the focus of the study is on your treasure. So, there's time, talents, treasure. Usually, we're looking at treasure here. And First Corinthians four seven, how does that teach that you are a steward? It says, "For you make you, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as you did, as though you did not?" So we, we have received all we have from the Lord from the hand of, uh, of another. That is, we have received all we have from the hand of God. So in the box there, men tend to give uh, God selective credit. One who rises from rags which is called a self-made man. Uh, many boast how they, made, how they have made a, a life by the sweat of their brow. Yet catastrophes and tragedies are often called acts of God. Men credit themselves with good things and good and God with bad. Yet scripture teaches that everything you possess was received, your job, even your ability to work is from God. So everything you have is a gift of God. So it's an important important idea to, to think about there. Top of page 121. Accepting the fact that you are a steward is easy. So accepting the implications of stewardship is not. So really that's where the the rubber meets the road, the the implications of what stewardship means for us living here in twenty first century America. So as a steward what do you personally own? Obviously nothing, as we discussed. Who owns the talents and possessions you manage the owner, which is God, and what is your responsibility to God that we manage our resources, manage all that we have that were those things that we manage on behalf of God according to His wishes, and that's why that power of attorney is somewhat helpful. There, so we're managing these things according to His wishes. So I think um, when we answer that, we look at that last question: How does that that fact influence the way you manage your money, or how should it? I think most of us. I think I mean I'm, I'm positive. But every one of us sitting here. We'll, ex- we'll, we'll agree. Yeah, God, God owns everything. We receive everything from the hand of God. God's the owner. Um, we agree with that. We have no problem with that. We can, uh, when we reflect on that question, we doesn't take. We don't have to think about it. We just immediately, without thinking, uh, will agree. We'll say we we would all agree that we need to manage our finances according to God's wishes. You know, if we went around, yeah, I would, I'm sure all of you would agree with that. But I think the difficulty comes in those details uh, and this is just something to think about. We give our offerings to the church on a regular basis. But what about uh, other needs that is, as they arise? What about uh, buying a new TV because it's on sale? You know, it's, it's, so we start thinking about how do we manage our resources? Paying extra for some better quality jeans versus buying cheap ones. Do I do this or do I that? You know, should we go out to eat tonight, or should we just save money just cook at home? So these these types of questions, others like them, they take discernment. So they take application of what we're learning, uh, what we'll learn, think about today, and applying it to our life, it, uh, applying it to those situations, these kind of situations that we arise in everyday life. So it's not the big idea that yeah we need to give God. We should manage our resources wisely. The question is, so how how does that show up in our everyday lives? Applying our theological grid uh, to the daily context in which we're living out our life. And that's really what we want uh, to do, because a lot of these things are kind of just the big idea, general ideas, but we actually need to start thinking, how does this show up in our daily life? How do do we actually, uh, does it manifest itself in my life, in Jim Statenbacher's life? I wonder, what do I do? So, money, the root of all evil. So it's essential in there in that box that you have, uh, it says it is essential that you not misunderstand the misunderstand study. The Bible does not actually teach that money is evil in itself. Indeed, many great men from the Bible were extremely wealthy. Abraham, uh, Job, Solomon. If you remember, we just went through that series, Job series. Yet the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, according to 1 Timothy. Having money and nice possessions is not necessarily a sin. And giving away all you have, all you own, is not necessarily a virtue. So the question is, is money your tool or your tyrant? Do you own your money or does your money own you? And that's really what we want to be thinking about. Do you own the money or does the money own you? So the rest of the study, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. And so those are really, those are the texts that you want to go to. Is what we're thinking about in your own life, how does it show up? Questions arise, what do we, how do we manage these things? Second Corinthians eight and nine are really the, the, the text, the chapters you want to go to when you're thinking about how do you manage your resources. <clears throat> so five principles there at the bottom of 121. Number one, scripture requires spiritual giving. So 2 Corinthians 8 begins its first verse by referring to financial giving as a grace. So the the Greek word for grace uh, which is karis is then used a total of six times in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and then it lists those out, uh, to refer to the grace of giving. Remember, grace is God's doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. So in this context, it means that you your giving of your finances to the Lord is done in response to the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. So in your flesh, you are selfish and possessive. Under the Spirit's influence, you are selfless and generous. And that's what if you remember Romans 8, we read Romans 8. That's what that says. That's what that reflects, that idea. Giving, like all ministries, empowered by the Lord before it is uh, enacted by men. God's gift, God gifts you with the ability to give. So the Apostle Paul refers to the people from the region of Macedonia, uh, which include the city cities of Philippi and Thessalonica, as examples of gracious giving, givers in 2 Corinthians 8, 1-5. through 5. And I'll go ahead and read that for you. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Top of page 122. He notes that that they gave despite their trial and affliction, and that they gave extremely generously. Yet their financial gift to the Lord and His work was secondary to an earlier and greater gift that is described in 2 Corinthians 8.5. What is it? So as I said, 2 Corinthians 8.5, uh, that last part of there, it says they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So the implications of this principle are many. Uh, giving is a result of to God is uh, a result to godly living, not a substitute for it. Which I guess it should be of, of godly living, not a substitute for it. Giving is more a matter of the heart than the po- pocketbook. Once you have given yourself to the Lord, giving your resources to Him is easy. Giving is first and foremost an act of worship, as much so as praying and singing praise to the Lord. So it's a natural outgrowth of. You know, giving freely to the, uh, you know, to the work of the Lord, to the Lord's work, or how, you know, to the church, uh, giving of your natural resource, uh, financial resources, is a natural outgrowth of receiving God's mercy and grace. So, second uh, number two there says Scripture requires consistent giving. Second Corinthians eight nine presents a method of giving that is well planned and consistent, rather than haphazard. So Second Corinthians eight twelve teaches that you are to give according to what you have, not according to what you don't or what you hope to have. So that goes against that. We talked about uh, you know these prosperity gospel teachers, false teachers that uh, that's actually they actually go completely against that. So if you want to give get money, then you need to give money, and you're, so you're actually giving what you uh, hope to to, to receive. Maybe out of money that you don't even have really. To spend. Hence God's desire is that you put what He has already provided to good use. So what He has already provided to you to good use. Second Corinthians eight, thirteen through fifteen. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you were hard pressed, while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. So Second Corinthians 8, 13-15. This equality of giving. Not each member giving equal amounts, but each member making equal sacrifice. So that's... That's really the key thought, that each member making equal sacrifice. So not everyone can give the same amount, but everyone can and should give. Like the believers in the city of Corinth, your giving should be well-planned and consistent. Uh, number three, Scripture requires generous giving. And we can see that actually, if we, uh, 2 Corinthians 8.3, it's not listed there, but 2 Corinthians 8.3, the sense is that they, they calculated what they could comfortably give and then they went beyond that. So Second Corinthians 8.3. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. So they figured out what they could give and then they went beyond that. So the generous giving. Mark 12.41-44 through 44 records a scene in the temple, though many worshipers gave large gifts Jesus commended a widow who gave only two small coins. According to verse 44, why was her small gift more acceptable than other large gifts? And that verse 44 says they gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all that she had to live on. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, she gave, uh, you know, in a generous fashion, she put in everything that she had. So what general principle of giving can you draw from Jesus' words there in Mark twelve? Our giving should contain a, a sacrificial element to it wise element to it. Uh, there should be some you should be willing, you know, not you should be willing to give freely, uh, not out of your excess, but you know uh, in a generous fashion. Back in Second Corinthians eight nine, notice the various ways Scripture describes the giving commended by God. So those bullet points there. Generous giving despite trial and deep poverty in eight two, giving beyond ability, eight three. Uh, they were to excel in giving, eight seven. Generous giving nine six. So scripture is commending generous giving, not irresponsible giving. It is no virtue to give large amounts to the deed. To the detriment of your family, or the neglect of your obligations, however, a limit to limit other expenditures to increase giving is perfectly consistent with scripture's teaching. So, uh, right here. So, uh, top of page one twenty-three, number four. Scripture also requires joyful giving. Joyful giving. Hilarious giving. That play on the Greek there. One of the most important passages regarding giving in the New Testament is found in 2 Corinthians 9-7. So draw principles of giving from that verse. So 2 Corinthians 9-7. I think that might be up to that verse... Maybe one of our key scripture members. 2 Corinthians 9-7 Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. So, it says those those principles we're supposed to get out of 2 Corinthians 9-7 I am to give as I have decided in my heart. Secondly, I am not to give reluctantly or regretfully or under compulsion is we should not be giving out of a sense of duty without compulsion. So reluctantly and under compulsion. Finally, God loves a cheerful giver. Once again, notice how Scripture commends the willingness of the giver in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And that talks about uh, forward or eager giving in eight ten and 9, 2. Giving from a ready will, 8.11, and a willing mind, 8.12. Enthusiastic giving in 9.2. I think another one of those places that that is highlighted in, in chapter 8 and verses 3 through 4, uh, they display a, an eagerness derived from their own heart, not compelled to by Paul. So if we go back and look at 2 Corinthians 8, through 4 it says I testify that they gave as much as they were able or even beyond their ability entirely on their own so there's no compulsion there they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in a service to the Lord's temple so there was an eagerness that the Corinthians had displayed towards Paul without his comp- compulsion to them so number five Scripture requires private giving. Scripture requires private giving. And that actually, we can derive that also from 2 Corinthians 9-7. Each of you should give what you decided in your own heart. So you, you decide in your own heart what you're going to give, and that's what you should give. So private giving. So Matthew 6, 1-4, Jesus condemns some people, even though they may have given consistently, and generously so what were they doing wrong so matthew 6 1 through 4 says be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them if you do you will have no reward from your father in heaven so when you give to the needy do not announce it with trumpets or as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others truly i tell you they have received their reward in full but when you give to the needy, do not left, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the, what were they doing wrong? They were giving in a conspicuous fashion. They were doing it to get to be noticed by everybody. So, what did Jesus mean when he said that your right hand shouldn't know what your left hand is doing, that others do not need to know about what you're giving? So, what do you think was Jesus' Jesus's purpose in calling uh, for anonymous giving? What was why we why would Jesus tell his disciples and by extension us that there needs to be anonymous giving? So let's let's think about that as we read this. This box under says undercover giving. Scripture is very clear that giving is a personal matter. Your responsibility is to guard your own motives and to avoid drawing attention to yourself. Keep your giving secret and discreet. Your church's responsibility is to encourage secret giving and to protect your anonymity. Therefore, only those responsible for counting the offering and keeping financial records should know about your habits and they should be keeping that information confidential. There was... If any of you, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the Babylon Bee stuff that's posted on Facebook, it's like a satire, Christian satire page that a lot of people will post on their Facebook links with the fake headlines regarding what's going on in Christianity. And there was one that I thought was applicable, not just to this lesson, but also to what's going on in church, in that it was talking about um, man realizes, some, it was something like man realizes... Uh, his online give people behind him thinks, you know, his online, because he's giving online, he's not giving enough or something. You know, like, people aren't seeing what he's giving because he's giving his offering online. And so people, something about man, man is worried that the people behind him in the pew don't, don't realize how much he's giving or something. Or, I, thought, I just thought it was funny, you know, because we're, a lot of times we're, we're worried about that. You know, we're thinking, oh, if someone, if they see that every time the offering plate goes by and I'm doing it online, as we're starting to move in that direction. <laughs> but... I love the online giving, by the way. What's that? I love the online giving. Really? Yeah. I so you signed up like, for it? Oh, yeah. Like, during the service of lunch. <laughs>
1: That's good. <laughs> i like,
0: yeah. It's a lot easier to um, make it a habit when I can do it when I do everything else online. Yeah. So. There's one, somebody here is, don't, they were like, dead set against it. Like, they... They don't even want to pay by credit card. You know, they they don't want to. Do, they want to do everything by cash. still. So. so it was kind of funny listening to their "No way!" <laughs> it's a lot easier to make a habit when it's automatically withdrawn. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> It's not automatically. I know. It's just It's definitely ca- the case, though. It makes it easier uh, for everybody with the online giving. But the the point being, uh, this undercover giving. You know, so we're thinking about. You know, when we why do we give? Why does the Jesus tell us that we should be giving? Why is these kind? Of, why are these things kind of funny? Why do we worry about this stuff? Because you know, other people are looking at us. We're wondering is the offering plate going by. You know, I only give. I only put something in there once a month. You know, if the people that get paid once a month, you know, retired people or something, maybe they get their check in the beginning, so they put one one time. You know, uh, is that, should I split it into four times? So I can get something. I put something in the plate every time it goes by every week. You know, so there's these things that run through our head. Uh, but Jesus is calling there here in this this question: What is the purpose? Why do you think that is? Part of it is is love for God. So I think there's a real it's a real display of your love for God when you're doing it anonymously, anonymously, because you don't want to draw attention to yourself. You're not doing it so other people notice. You know you're doing it because you're you're offering this in obedience to God, and so that the 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 work that God has wants to be done is, is being done, and you you're just looking to contribute to it, not for other people, but also for love of others. I think there's to some degree your love of how you uh, it's a way of displaying your love for others. So you don't want to make people feel bad, you don't want to draw attention to yourself, you don't want to cause a distraction, so you want to be anonymous. So. Motivations uh, of stewardship. I'll tell Larry that, though, by the way, that you thought you were great. He'll be excited to hear that. (laughs) It should be clear that financial giving is not motivated by a desire to become more spiritual, neither is it motivated by a desire to appear spiritual. Rather, giving which is acceptable to God is motivated by obedience, love, and gratitude. So, number one, Giving is motivated by obedience to God. So scripture teach, scripture's teaching on giving has been explained throughout this book. Therefore, obedience to God's word should be reason enough to give. And that's why that's preemptive. That's number one. So the fact that it's there in God's God's word means that it should be enough. We want to be obedient to God's word. And we, we see that in 2 Corinthians 8.5. If you remember 2 Corinthians 8.5 that I read a couple times now, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So it's their dedication to God, first and foremost, That, that uh, their dedication, their desire to be obedient to God, to follow God's will for their life. Giving, number two, giving is motivi- motivated by a love of God. Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians 8, 8 and 24 that financial giving offers you the opportunity to prove your sincerity Your love for Christ. So in essence he is telling you to put your money where your mouth is. So what did Jesus teach regarding finances in Matthew six twenty one? So some of you I'm sure are familiar with this verse where your treasure is, there your heart will also will be also. So is our heart focused on spiritual matters, on our heaven heavenly realities? So where our heart is, the treasure is. Or excuse me, where your treasure is, your heart is. Number three, giving is motivated by gratitude to God. What compelling motivation for stewardship does 2 Corinthians 8, 9 gift? So that says, for you, you know that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that so that you through his poverty, might become rich. So that compelling motivation for stewardship is that grace, those blessings, those benefits that we've received from God through Christ should be more more than enough motivation. So how does Paul clinch his two chapters on giving in 2 Corinthians 9.15? 2 Corinthians 9.15 says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable describable gift so this gift we uh, we received is described as being so great it can't be described with words it's so so we we must thank god it's such a such a great gift an amazing grace so the blessing blessings of stewardship so as with every endeavor of the christian the first and most important blessing of giving is that it test, uh, glorifies God. So 2 Corinthians 9, 12-13, uh, that's what that talks about there. Yet there are many other blessings that result from financial faithfulness to the Lord. So good stewardship assures physical provision for the church. So good uh, physical provision for the church, and this is important. So 2 Corinthians nine twelve explains that the giving of God's people supplying the needs of the Lord's people. The giving of God's people supplying the needs of the Lord's people. What uh, particular financial needs are mentioned in the following verses? So 1 Corinthians 9, 6-14, 1 Timothy 5, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 6, uh, chapter 9 talks uh, quotes uh, the Old Testament. Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading up the grain so the minister of the gospel uh, deserves, deserves our support. So the, 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 the person employed to, to minister the gospel deserves our support. Third John 5 through8 uh, is a, a well-known verse talking about our need to support missionaries. Galatians 6, 10. We should be support. Uh, therefore, I'll read it, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So we should be helping to support our other, our brothers and sisters in Christ here in the church. 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 4. Well, I'll just read 1 Timothy 5, 3 give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. So he's explicitly calling out the widows, but what we can discern from that is that those who are most vulnerable among us deserve our support. Those who are most vulnerable among us. 1 John 3 and Acts 11, Acts, uh, Acts 11, 29 the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. So this is Second Corinthians eight, and nine, and what I just read in Acts eleven are are connected in that they're both talking about supporting the, the church there in Jerusalem. So there's this need that arises, it's a burden that Paul has. He's making it known to the other churches that he's ministering, that he's planting, and they're giving. And this is what Second Corinthians eight and nine are arising out of. So we that that, that principle that we can discern there from First John three and Acts eleven is that we, when we find out about a need, in in our church or other churches, that we should be willing to supply it, for it, give to it. Number two, good stewardship assures physical provision for you. So to what does 2 Corinthians 9, 6 compare giving? What does it in 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 11 suggest about God's provision for use? So 2 Corinthians 9, 10 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. So what it suggests is that God has provided for our needs and also so that we can meet the needs of others. Number three, good good stewardship assures assures spiritual reward for you. So God's reward for your faithfulness is not merely physical. In fact, it is primarily spiritual. Spiritual. For example, 2 Corinthians 9, 9-10 through 10, equates financial stewardship with righteousness. So what promise does Scripture make regarding giving and other ministries in Hebrews 6.10? God will remember or bring to remembrance those things you've done for Him. And Hebrews 6.10 highlights that. God will remember those things uh, you've done for Him on His behalf. So how does... Uh, 3 John, verse 8, characterizes those who support missionaries. We are said to support such people so that we become co workers with them. So, our support of missionaries, our support of those who are carrying the gospel out, means that we actually become co workers. We partner with them. And I'm sure you guys, some of you have heard that uh, in churches. So what an exciting prospect. Those who give to support the ministry will be rewarded along with those who actually carry them. So it's our way of partnering with ministries that we actually physically can't be a part of at this stage in life. Number four, good stewardship assures spiritual joy for you. So what is the well-known instruction regarding giving at the end of Acts 20.35? I'm sure a lot of you have heard that. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So, practical suggestions about giving. The following practical suggestions answer some commonly asked questions concerning giving in the local church. Does it matter where my offering is given? The biblical pattern is for you to support financially the ministry that serves you spiritually. We get that from 1 Corinthians 9.11. Further, the local church is the primary means through which God is working in this age. So that's that's really the important one of the important points there in that paragraph. The local church is the primary means through which God is working in the, our current age. Therefore, your offerings should be given to the local church. You should normally give your offerings to the church's general fund and make an additional offering to any designated funds. So sometimes our question will arise. There's this need I know a missionary that I've come across, I got to know. Can I split my offering, my weekly offering, and give some of that money to this missionary because they're doing good work. I mean they're they're looking to carry the gospel to, you know, Muslims and wherever. And I really want to be a part of that ministry. So can I give some of my weekly offering to them? So the answer is if if the, the local church then is the primary means through which God is working, then the answer should be that. You should be giving your... Whatever God has burdened you on your heart should be going to the church. And then anything in above over and above that, um, you know, then you, then you start thinking about that. The question is, what if I'm in debt, should I still give? So that's a important one and nowadays, especially with a lot of people coming out of college debt, a lot of debt, heavy debt. The first step to getting out of debt is a recognition with with few exceptions uh poor stewardship got you there so that's one of those things how, how did you manage the money well did you make wise choices so if necessary confess your lack of discipline to the Lord a sin next determine to honor the Lord with what he gives you starting now don't wait to obey delayed obedience is really disobedience begin giving something now and trust with the Lord trust the Lord to be true to his word Next, determine where you can decrease your spending to allow you to pay off your debts. Uh, the quickest way out of debt is simply to stop spending. Finally, prayerfully seek the Lord's help, both to provide for you and to work in your heart to control your spending. So, this is something that the the men have gone through that, and, uh, um, Rich has taught a lot about in our church. This you know financial piece, how steps you can take to get your, get your finances under control. Um, you know, unfortunately, we we live at a time and in a place where it's very easy and it's very much encouraged for us to spend. You know, way out of proportion to what we what we should uh, are receiving. You know, put yourself in debt. And you know, I was talking with one of the guys, and it's funny because he is financially has no problems, but he doesn't have uh, he doesn't have a credit card. He doesn't, so his credit is actually not that great. So in order to get good credit, he actually has to get a credit card and start having a line of credit where he actually runs debt, which you know, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with. But it's just the system we live in now, really, you know, the people with good credit are the ones who actually run up a decent amount of debt. I mean, you, you know, you don't want to be late paying it off, but if you run it up and get a, a certain line of credit, you know, align your credit up, that's how you build your credit score, unfortunately. So we, we very much live in a culture moving in that direction. Keep spending, you know, you're constantly being bombarded with buying new things. So is it legitimate to spend the Lord's money on buildings, vehicles, equipment, even though the early church didn't have them? So sometimes that question will arise as we look around, as churches grow, as ministries expand, you know, do we really need a church van? Do we really need to buy a building right now? Should we expand this building? All three of these things are tools. Of so buildings, vehicles, equipment. Uh, they must not become an end in themselves. Many churches raise edifices as monuments of their greatness, not God's. Yet these items are legitimate to the extent that they are, they enable and facilitate spiritual ministry. So discernment there, sometimes uh, you, and we're, all, we're all aware of those abuses we talked about in the beginning. So I think... Uh, in a very real way, the key to giving lies in the attitude of the heart. So, Second Corinthians eight twelve, as we talked about, also nine seven here. Second Corinthians eight twelve: For if the willingness is there, um, if, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to one to what one has, not according to what one does not have. The willingness of the heart. Second Corinthians 9.7 There, that scripture verse each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver so that key i guess again is, is the attitude of the heart why are you giving why are you are you not giving are you doing so in a in the right way with a right heart uh, and that's really one of one of the things we need to to be thinking about so any any questions on any of that material any any pushback Right. If not, we'll go ahead and close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we, we just thank you for these sober reminders and uh, these truths from your word about how we should manage our financial resources. Uh, Lord, we pray that as as you've we've studied out in this lesson, that we would be good stewards of those things that you've provided us. Help us to have wisdom and discernment as we... Uh, manage these resources as we look to support the work uh, of the church. Help us to be uh, just uh, to manage these resources in a way that is pleasing to you uh, but also uh, helps us to uh, bring glory to your name. We pray this in Jesus' name.